This is Dr. Jerry Tolbert, and here's another episode of Here's to Your Health. Today we're going to talk about something that everybody does and not a lot of people do well. That could be a whole lot of things I know, but... Uh, what I'm talking about is sleep. A friend recently asked me about some issues they were having with sleep and insomnia, and I decided that it would be a good way to disseminate that information to the general public as well to put it on the podcast. One of the things that I am a big proponent of is sleep hygiene, which is essentially defined as the practices that you go through and that are really necessary to have normal, quality, nighttime sleep and by extension, good daytime wakefulness and alertness. Sleep science is just now getting into the stages where we're starting to learn a whole lot about how how the brain functions, how the body functions, what centers in the brain are actually responsible for initiating sleep and maintaining sleep and controlling sleep cycles. And as we learn more, the more we are able to deduce some of the external cues that can affect those areas, uh, we may not have it all figured out completely, but we've got some good ideas and some good uh, data that suggest that the things I'm going to talk about are actually very, very important for maintaining good sleep cycles. Now, everybody says, I'm good at sleeping or I'm bad at sleeping, and the truth is that no one person is everything all the time. And so these are tips that are going to get help you essentially have the best chance possible to get a good night's sleep. Uh, They're things that seem pretty intuitive, but again, medical science is actually pointing to the fact now that these are actually good evidence-based ways to improve your sleep quality. Some of them may seem like what we call no-brainers, meaning that you don't have to think about that, it's common sense, but sometimes you just need to be reminded that these things actually work. So first, avoid napping. I can't stress this enough. There are some pretty big studies that show if you nap during the day, Unless you're a toddler, you're going to have trouble sleeping through the night because you've set up a wakefulness sleep disjoint when it comes to the normal circadian rhythms. Now, the one caveat to this, and this is something that I know if people were going to comment on this, this would be the thing that we comment on is, oh, well, you know, what about the siesta and what about these naps that people take during the afternoons? In some cases, they're okay, but you shouldn't nap for more than 30 to 45 minutes as far as during the middle of the day. The other thing to keep in mind is that strategic napping can be important, but it can change the way that you have overnight sleep. And so this is more for just overnight sleep that we're talking about improving your sleep hygiene, not specifically about certain special cases, things like shift work and other things that are already messing with your sleep cycles. So that's number one. Number two, try to avoid as much as possible stimulants uh, that you're putting into your body before bedtime. And there are actually a couple of different classes here that I want to talk about, I guess three big ones. Number one is chemical stimulants, things like caffeine, nicotine, um, any kind of medications that may have a stimulant effect, things like pseudoephedrine. Those all can potentially adjust the way that your body and your brain process the sleep cycles and the sleep rhythms and can cause you to have less deep sleep. Uh, It can also cause you to have shorter sleep cycles or longer sleep cycles, depending on what you're talking about. And it just disrupts the normal cycling that your body has uh, from a metabolic standpoint. The other stimulant that is difficult to, to quantify exactly where the line is 
but it's best not to have any strenuous exercise right before bed. Strenuous exercise is going to release some natural uh, chemicals that are going to cause wakefulness and alertness. They ramp up this the sympathetic nervous system, the one that's responsible for the fight-or-flight response. And so that sympathetic response is going to keep you awake through the night. Not a good thing if you're trying to get a good night's sleep. Now, there are some exercises that you can do or some calm things, tai chi, yoga, things that are not going to tax your, your cardiovascular system that aren't going to trigger that fight-or-flight response that are just some basic stretching and moving exercises that will make it difficult to fall asleep. And that's right before bedtime that you don't want to do the strenuous exercise. Exercise itself is actually good for sleep if you do it during the right time, so during the morning or afternoon or, or at the beginning of your wakefulness cycle to the middle, not right before you're getting ready to go to sleep. So, And the third stimulant is light. You've got to be careful uh, with when and how you get your light. You want to make sure that you're getting plenty of daylight during daytime hours, if you're going to be awake during daytime hours, and plenty of darkness during the dark time hours. That means uh, eliminating a lot of lights from the bedroom, and, and this is um, kind of goes along with one of the next things I'm going to talk about, but you want to eliminate any sources of bright white light, things like computers and laptops and, and tablets and phones and and even lamps and overhead lights and things like that can be disruptive. Small lights, like the clock radio lights on the front of your alarm clock or the lights on your VCR or the lights on your nightlight in the bathroom, those can still disrupt sleep cycles. And you've got to be very careful if you're sensitive to those. Um, they can cause a biochemical change, which will change the amount of sleep uh, or change the quality of the sleep that you're going to get. And conversely, you want to make sure that you're getting plenty of that stimulation during wakeful hours. Just like doing good exercise during wakefulness hours will promote good sleep, good amounts of light during that um, 12-hour period or however long, uh, depending on what you're doing, you want to have the right amount of light. And, and in fact, some studies show that ramping up and ramping down that light uh, can potentially cause better transitions between wakefulness and sleep. But that's still um, sort of being studied. The... Other thing that I alluded to earlier is is electronics, and that's a form of stimulation, but I'm going to kind of separate it out a little bit here. You want to avoid having a lot of screen time right before bed. The light from the screens, especially white light coming from screens like tablets and phones and, and televisions, is going to be disruptive just by itself, but the, the content of those things can also be disruptive to sleep. If you're forcing your brain into overdrive in order to process the things that you're reading or the things that you're watching on television or the things on television trigger a sympathetic nervous system response, those can promote wakefulness instead of allowing you to go to sleep. Some people say, oh, I can't go to sleep unless I got the radio on or oh, I can't go to sleep unless I got the television on, and that is false. That is a learned behavior. It's something that you've taught your body to do, uh, perhaps, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're falling asleep well or that you're getting good sleep. And it doesn't mean that you have to have that in order to get sleep at all. Um, it may take a little bit of withdrawal from those things in order to get back to a normal sleep cycle, but you'll find that your sleep is much more restive and much better quality if you can eliminate those things, especially eliminating them from the bedroom, but eliminating them before uh, bedtime, uh, you know, within 20 to 30 minutes of when you want to go to sleep. Now, I'm not saying that these are the be-all, end-all, that they're going to be the, the, the only ways that you're going to get good sleep, but I will tell you that making the bedroom only for sleep is very important. And the other things that we just talked about, uh, avoiding a whole lot of long naps, 
avoiding stimulation and stimulants, avoiding light and electronics right before bed, all of those things are going to make for a much more restive sleep. And all of those things can help promote wakefulness during the daytime or during your wakeful hours. There is one study I want to talk about that actually discusses the use of cooling to promote sleep. And there's actually a pretty good pretty good data in the study that show the process of cooling the head does actually promote sleep in some people with insomnia of a certain type. Now, the key here is that that cooling of the head allows the the parts of the brain that are responsible for wakeful conscious thought to kind of calm down a little bit. That's the theory they're putting forth for why this really works to help promote sleep. But there's not really a, a study showing that that proves that's what's going on. And so this is sort of a, just a suggestion. It doesn't mean you should be sleeping with an ice pack on your head, but maintaining a cooler temperature in the room may actually help you get to sleep more readily. So uh, there are a lot of different things that can help sleep. There are a lot of different things that can harm sleep. And uh, if you are having trouble with sleep, it's always best to talk to your physician about your sleep cycles. You can try these methods first, and then if, not, if this stuff isn't working, then that's the best time to actually talk to the physician and see if there are other interventions that may be better or to see if there's something that's causing you to have abnormal sleep that maybe you can fix. Again, this is Dr. Jerry Tolbert, and here's to your health. The contents of this podcast are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Uh, the physicians involved do not in any way guarantee or warrant the accuracy, completeness, or usefulness of any of the messages presented herein and will not be responsible for any of the content of any message. For all medical questions, always consult your personal physician for any specific medical advice.